Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Well, good morning, church. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time, I got to meet some friends, new friends. Uh, this is their first Sunday. We are so honored that you've chosen to spend this freezing cold Sunday morning with us. Did everyone's heaters work last night? Everyone okay? It was like, oh man, you know, that first cold freeze, what can you do? Uh, we managed to leave the front door to our house open for about half an hour this morning because you know, we're Californians like that. So uh, that's how we rolled. But I hope you had a great Halloween. I hope you got all the favorite candy and that moms and dads, y'all figured out how to steal out of your kids things without them knowing it. Uh, that's a real art form. We are glad you're with us this morning. We're starting a brand new series today. The most famous words in the English language, most famous words in the English language recited more than any other words, 58 words, a mere Five sentences. What is it? The Lord's Prayer. You guessed it. The Lord's Prayer. Uh, Etymologists, people who study language, tell us that the Lord's Prayer, these 58 words have been recited more times than any other words in the Western world. More more than Shakespeare, uh, more than the Gettysburg Address, uh, more than baby shark do, 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 do. And it's kind of wild to realize, to think that right now, right now, on every continent, in in languages and dialects too numerous to count, that Christians around the world, millions upon millions, are reciting this prayer together today. This prayer that Jesus taught his disciples over 2,000 years ago. Can you imagine? What is it about this prayer that has lasted? What is it about this prayer that has such durability, such impact in our lives? You know, it's kind of interesting to think that's what this series is really about. It was actually a time when Jesus' disciples, uh, well, he was traveling around teaching, and uh, his disciples actually came and interrupted his sermon. Now, don't get any ideas today. We've got bouncers right here in the front that are ready, all right? But they, they interrupted his sermon. They said, Jesus, Jesus, we got a question. We got a question. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Interesting question, isn't it? Especially when you think about the fact that, that these disciples, well, they knew how to pray, didn't they? I mean, they were good Jewish boys. They, they would have been trained how to pray from the earliest speaking age. They, they would have prayed what's called the Amidah, which is the standing prayer, three times a day they would have prayed. Uh, in, at some point in the day, they would have prayed the Shmona Ezra, known as the 18 blessings. Uh, they knew how to pray, but when they watched Jesus, when they listened to Jesus pray, when they saw Jesus' connection with his Father, they saw something different in Jesus. There was something different about the way he prayed. And so they came to him, they, say, they said, you ask him. No, no, I'm not going to. You, you ask him. No, 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 no. You ask him. Okay, I'll ask him. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Because Jesus, we've been watching you. And whatever that connection is that you have with the Father, we want in on that. We want to know how to pray like that. So that's what this series is all about. It's teach us to pray. And there's some, some things built into this title because 
the fact that we have to ask Jesus to help us learn how to pray is actually good news because whether you're a novice prayer or, or maybe you've never prayed or, or you think of yourself as an expert prayer. Anybody expert prayer? Just raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, all right. Yeah, a couple of y'all. The pastor kids and faith. Yeah, we're, we're good. We're good. Yeah, that's good. The truth is we all have something to learn about prayer, don't we? And that's what the series is about. Next week, we're going to look at what are some different ways that we can pray. Uh, week three, I can't wait. Holly Worsley from Davidson's going to be coming back and preaching. You will not want to miss that one. She's going to be talking about how do we keep company with God. And then in week four in this series, we're going to tackle that difficult question. Does prayer actually work? Does prayer really make a difference? And we're going to be taking an important weekend to do some vision sharing about 2020, the year ahead of us. You won't want to miss that one either. So some important stuff in this series. But today I wanted to start with just some simple questions. Uh, Today I wanted to start with kind of a foundation. What is prayer? How how would you define that for yourself? Just, Just think for a minute. I'll give you 10 seconds. How would you answer that question? What is prayer? It's not an easy question to answer, is it? Here's what I want to do. I want to start by talking about some things that prayer is not, because there are a lot of different ways we can approach this subject. So some things that prayer is not uh, might might uh, resonate with you. First thing prayer is not is prayer is not simply a grocery list of needs and wants, right? (laughs) It's not simply me going to God with my long list. God, would you give me this? Would you do that? It's, It's not a spiritual Amazon account where I just put stuff in the basket hoping my wife accidentally buys it. That's not how this works, right? But prayer is also not magic. It's not the kind of thing where if I can just say the right words or if I can just grip my teeth enough or be passionate enough, I can can get God into a half Nelson and force him to do what I want him to do, right? Prayer's not magic. It's not hocus pocus. But, but there is a kind of power to prayer. Prayer is not simply positive thinking or, or, or sending positive vibes out into the world. I don't know how your vibes are when I try to send positive vibes. They don't make it much past my toes. They just kind of flop on the ground in front of me, right? There really is something of power to this prayer. Well, what I want to suggest to you today is that the starting point, at least for Christian prayer, Because the truth is that 90% of the people in this world say that they pray on a regular basis, while only 80% say they believe in any kind of God. That's interesting, right? But Christian prayer, all Christian prayer begins with the same motion. It all begins in the same place. Today, I want to suggest that all Christian prayer begins with the simple act of looking up. Looking up. It's an interesting story in the Bible you might know about a guy named Moses. Uh, Now, before Moses comes of age and and actually comes to know God, uh, he's working in Egypt. And uh, he he has a little bit of an encounter with uh, an Egyptian that's been kind of harassing one of his fellow Jews. And so uh, the text tells us, the story tells us that Moses looks this way and he looks that way. And seeing no one, he decides to kill the Egyptian and bury him in the sand. Now, question, which way did Moses not look? He didn't look up, right? And and I can promise you, had Moses taken the time to look up, to say, God, what is your will for me in this situation, and will you give me the strength to carry that out? If you and your workplace encounter a difficult person, 
And you actually look up. You stop to say, God, what is your will for me in this situation? And give me the strength carried out. Here's the answer I promise you will not get. Here's the thought I promise will not come into your head. You will not think I should kill this person and bury them in the sand, right? (laughs) You see, when we look up, we encounter a God who wants to connect with us in a way that changes our reality. Christian prayer begins with looking up. Prayer is at, most, at its most basic is this simple decision to look beyond my own power, beyond my own situation and my own resources. Just like the psalm we read this morning. Do you remember it? I lift my eyes up, the psalmist says, to the mountains. Why? Because that's where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. See, Kind of funny in our day when we think about prayer. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't really pray until I met Jesus as a late teenager. But in our culture, when we pray, we tend to pray with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, don't we? But as the author John Ortberg points out, that's actually not the normal position for people in the Bible when they're praying. It's an okay position, but it's not what the characters of Scripture typically did or normally did when they prayed. A friend of Orberg says that it was mostly likely invented uh, by Victorian Sunday school teachers who wanted to get little kids to settle down, right? (laughs) I think that's probably as good an explanation as any. But when Jesus prayed, Jesus tended to pray with eyes lifted up. In fact, one time he was praying for his friend Lazarus, and, and we're told that Jesus looks up and says, Father, thank you that you've heard me. In fact, in his last great prayer with his disciples, the text says that Jesus lifted his eyes towards heaven and he prayed. I think Jesus often looked up physically when he prayed because in prayer, we live again into the elevated vision of God's power and God's presence and God's goodness. And here is the choice that you and I are faced with over and over in prayer. I can either live without God looking down at the size of my problems, the smallness of my adequacy, the uncertainty about tomorrow or the fear in my heart, or I can look up at the size of my God, at his greatness, at his sufficiency, at his promise that he holds tomorrow in the palm of his hand. So if the choice is ours to either look down or to look up, How do we become the kinds of people who look up in prayer? How do we become the kinds of people who set our eyes on the mountains where our help comes from? Well, as I was studying for today's message, I came across a little article written by John Ortberg. He's an author uh, and pastor, and I've already quoted from it uh, just a moment ago. But John points in this article to a little passage in Hebrews. Chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, a single sentence, in fact, that I think holds maybe some clues as to how we can become these kinds of people of prayer, how we can become people who look up. Let me read this passage to you. It begins in verse 14 of chapter 4 of Hebrews. The author writes, Therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now here comes the sentence about prayer. Listen to this invitation. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So at the time we have this morning, I want to zero in on five words in this one sentence. Five words that I think are going to help us unpack what it means to look up, what it means to become people of prayer. And the first word is right here at the beginning. The sentence begins, let us approach God's throne. Let us approach God's throne. Now, quick question, quick question. Who is on God's throne? Okay, this is not a trick question. <laughs> We're at church. The answer should be pretty easy on this one. A squirrel. No, no, it's not a squirrel. <laughs> God, God is on God's throne, right? This means that when we pray, when I pray, I don't start by thinking about my problems. That's looking down. I start by thinking about God's power, about God's ability. In fact, the ancient Hebrews actually had a name for God that reflected this. Maybe you've heard this before. It's the name El Shaddai. It means God Almighty, God of strength, the God who is able. And oh, Jesus loved to cite this. One time his disciples came, they said, oh, Jesus, who can pass through the eye of a needle? That's impossible. And Jesus said, what's impossible for man is possible with God because all things are possible with him. He is God Almighty, El Shaddai. When we begin in prayer, it's important to remember who it is that we are praying to. We are praying to El Shaddai, a God who is able. He is the God who saved Daniel from the lion's den, the God who delivered David from Goliath, the God who freed the Israelites from Egypt. He is able to heal the blind, cure the sick, raise the dead. He's able to calm the storm. He's able to part the sea. He's able to walk on water. He's able to give us more than all we could ask or imagine according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Prayer, my friend, is not just positive thinking. Prayer is not whispering gentle wishes into the universe someplace. We are approaching a throne, and there is somebody on the throne, and that somebody is God, and our God is able. And if we were not a Presbyterian church, somebody would say amen right about now. Amen. Because that's good news. Our God is able. When we pray, we are not praying to a wussy, weak God. He is El Shaddai. He's able. And that, my friend, is amazing. Now, the throne, of course, our first word is, is a symbol of power, right? Thrones are always symbols of power, of authority. But notice, this throne has a name. Did you catch it? And it's not the throne of wealth or the throne of success or the throne of performance. It's not the throne where beautiful people will drop top designer clothes and gather around it. It's not even a throne for spiritual giants. It is simply called the throne of grace. In other words, who is it that gets to gather around this throne? Who is it that's qualified to enter this throne room? Well, it's the same people who gathered around Jesus, who were qualified to enter into his company. The misfits, the mess-ups, those who don't have it all together, those who don't measure up. It's the needy, the desperate, the failures, those left behind. Now, what kind of person sits on a throne surrounded by those kinds of people? 
only a God of grace, only the God we know through Jesus. But notice it gets even better. How do we enter into this throne room in prayer? Do we have to beg? Is there a price tag? Do I need a VIP ticket? Do I need to sneak in when no one else is looking? No, look, let us approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. And I just loved this word. This word confidence in the Greek means with boldness, with freedom, with reckless abandon, we enter his throne room. You know, there's an old story about uh, John Jr., JFK's son, when JFK was president and John was a little kid, a little toddler in the White House. And, uh, John loved to play in his dad's office, in the Oval Office all the time, but there were times when he wasn't allowed in that room, right? He was having meetings. And so there was one time when uh, JFK was hosting all these dignitaries from around the world, and, and John Jr. wanted to go in and see his dad, but his mom said, no, you, you can't go in there right now. And John did not understand this. John Jr., he, he could not fathom this, right? So when his mom turned her back, as the story goes, John Jr. goes running down the hallway, past the security guard, past the secretary, barges through the doors, runs, and jumps up into his father's lap. And I can think of no better picture than what it means to enter God's throne room with confidence. You see, when you pray, you don't have to worry about having it all together. When you pray, you don't have to worry about saying the right things. You can simply come as you are with confidence because your heavenly father is glad to see you. This concept of, of God, the Father, accessible in his throne room is what revolutionized prayer in Jesus' day. In fact, Jesus, uh, this is what he said uh, about his prayer that made it so striking. When the disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, you know what he said? He said, when you pray, say this. When you pray, begin with this word, Father. That's why this prayer has become known in certain Christian circles as the Our Father prayer. Now, the problem with the Lord's Prayer in our day is that we've said it so many times in kind of stodgy settings that it feels cold and, and rote. Almost like when we hear that word Father, we hear Darth Vader, Luke, I am your Father, right? It's not Father in a good sense. It's a Father, right? Nobody wants to be praying to Darth Vader. That's not good, right? But you know the word, some of y'all know this, the word that Jesus used here? It's a very, very, very unique word, an Aramaic word. Anyone know this word? It's the word Abba. And no, it doesn't mean dancing queen. <laughs> this word Abba, Baba, 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 comes from a baby babbling. It's like Dada, 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 which is every baby's first word, right? I mean, that's right. Let's be honest. See, Jesus says that the word that we are to call to our Father in heaven is the most tender compassionate, vulnerable word of a child. Daddy, our daddy in heaven. This is why Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors in Ragamuffin Gospel, says, whatever else it may be, prayer is first and foremost an act of love. Isn't that beautiful? Prayer is first and foremost an act of love. Now, uh, some of y'all will know one of our Westlakers here, uh, Reed Thomas, and uh, if you've ever had the privilege of praying with Reed, it is quite a treat. 
Uh, Reed is the first one who actually I know of in my life that has actually done this. I remember the first time I was sitting with Reed, we were getting, I don't know, we were getting barbecue and beer somewhere or something, and he prayed for the meal. And he just did this. He said, Daddy, thanks for this delicious barbecue. And I went, what? Like, I thought he was talking to me for a second. I'm not, I'm not done. <laughs> but Reed has taken this quite literally. And when you pray with Reed, you realize that he knows his father in heaven as a heavenly daddy. And it's deeply impacted his life. I don't have this in my notes, but I was thinking about this this morning. One last story on this. I remember as a kid, uh, do you remember what it was like to be sick as a young child? I, I, I remember one time having the flu and I had this terrible fever. And I, and I just was so terrified and I felt like my body was just kind of raging war against me. And, and I was sick in all ways you could imagine. I remember in the middle of the night in the darkness, my dad came in to check on me. And I remember he placed his big hand on the small of my back. And it was like in that moment, everything else lifted. Daddy, right? When we come to God in prayer, we come to him as a father that loves us, regardless of what our earthly fathers were like. He's a God of grace, compassion, and love. Well, the next word here, our fourth word, is simply this. It's the word mercy. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy. The writer of Lamentations reminds us that God's mercies are new every morning. And I want to get really practical on this one for just a moment. The scriptures talk often about praying first thing in the morning. That we should begin our day on our knees with prayer. And honestly, I think this is a really good practice. Something I try to do in my own life. To start my day with the Lord's Prayer or simply by asking God. Help me to know your will for me today and give me the strength I need to live it out. God loves to meet with us first thing in the morning, but here is a problem. Some of y'all are not morning people, right? In fact, some of you have the spiritual gift of grumpiness before noon. No one wants to talk to you before you've had your coffee. Even God doesn't want to talk to you until you've had your coffee. So if that's you, raise your hand, raise your hand. Come on, you guys know, own it. That's me, right? That's me. Here's the thing. If that's you, for God's sake, literally, literally, for God's sake, start with coffee, okay? Just start with coffee and then move to prayer. Now, some of y'all have little kids at home, small children. It's hard to find a quiet moment in the morning. And maybe you want to move away from the children for a few years. Or maybe... (laughs) Maybe you want to get up a few minutes earlier or or pray during nap time or just get creative. A friend of mine calls this praying in the snatches, snatching prayer in moments when he or she can. One of the tools I've been using for years is a little app called Pray As You Go. And it's a 10-minute guided prayer time I have on my phone every day. And I'll start my day with that. Sometimes it's on my back deck. Sometimes I'm racing to an early morning meeting and I haven't had my coffee and God doesn't want to talk to me yet. So I do the praise you go and it helps me get there on my drive. The point is not what you do or how you do it. The point is simply to find a way to start your day by looking up. Father, help me to know your will for my life today and give me the strength to live it out. Well, there's one last word. It's a phrase, really, that ends this simple invitation in Hebrews to prayer. 
The writer says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our time of need, what's that all about? Well, you know, my own life, I, I can come up with a lot of ways of rationalizing a life of prayerless striving. Reasons why I, I don't pray, and maybe these are some for you as well. For me, some of the reasons I'll say to myself is, well, I'm, I'm just too busy to pray. Right? I'm too distracted when I try to pray. Sit down, all this other stuff comes. Or, I'm not really sure it makes a difference when I pray. Or if I run out of other excuses, I just say, my dog ate my homework. But whatever it is, it gets me out of that tension. But the truth is, if I'm honest, the real reason we don't pray, the real reason I don't pray, is because I don't think I need to. John Ortberg again says this, in our day where we live, probably the biggest barrier, the single biggest barrier to prayer is just our sheer sense of inflated self-sufficiency. The illusion, the illusion that I am in control. So back to that statement, time of need. When is our time of need? How about for you? When's your time of need. You know, you could actually divide your moments in your day up based on this passage into times of need and times of not need, right? Moments when we need something from God versus moments when we don't need anything from God. Now, here's the question. How often do you need something from God to live life well? Maybe more often than you think, right? If somebody makes a wrong comment or uses body language that I might take the wrong way or respond to badly, when a problem at work is beyond my wisdom, when my child might incline me to worry, when my thoughts drift towards envy or resentment or disobedience, when I'm afraid about money or a conversation, or when I'm ungrateful or bored or lustful or afraid. On the other hand, when I might miss an opportunity for love and joy and peace, without God's help, when I might miss the chance to bless somebody at Walmart or in the next cubicle, or, or how about not squandering the precious gift of time and life, how to make memories with friends and family, how to be unhurried, not irritated, how to love. It turns out I need God's help to do a lot of things in this life if I'm going to live this life well. How many moments of your life would go better if you were receiving wisdom, peace, and guidance from God beyond your little self-sufficiency? Well, of course, the answer to that question is all of them, right? All of our moments would go better. So what is your need today? Where is it that you have been trying to live life or do things on your own self-sufficiency? Band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. You know, it's interesting, I've been thinking a lot about my own life and, and prayer in my life. And I was actually sharing this with my wife just yesterday. You know, at some point in my journey with Jesus, and I've been walking with Jesus for, oh gosh, almost 25, 26 years now. At some point on my journey with Jesus, I, I ceased coming to God with just a grocery list of requests. That, that's kind of where my prayer life started. But somewhere along the journey, I have been graced with, gifted with by God, a deep, comforting confidence in his love for me. I can't explain it. When I go to God in prayer, I am never worried that he will not receive me. 
I know he is always there. And I know, I have this deep confidence that he's glad to see me. And I was reflecting on how did that come to be shaped and formed in me? Did I do something to make that happen? The answer is no. But as I reflected on that, I realized that that is simply the fruit of prayer. Years of prayer in my life, of putting myself in God's presence, asking God to allow me to be filled with the knowledge of his love for me. And he's done it. And my belief is that if that's your desire, that he can do the same for you. Which is why I wanted to start with that today. Brennan Manning gives a prayer exercise that I used years ago, and I want to share it with you. And then I'm going to lead us through it. We're going to sing a little bit more and go home. Does that sound all right? Here's the prayer exercise. It's four steps. Let me describe it to you, and then I'm going to invite you to do this with me. We simply begin by recalling the presence of the risen Lord with us. Then you tell him that you believe he's present with you. Then you reflect on the fact that he loves you and accepts you just as you are, just as you are now. Then you take time out to sense his unconditional love for you and imagine him, if you will, looking at you lovingly and humbly. Finally, out of that place, you simply respond to Jesus. Tell him whatever you want or simply sit in silence. What would it look like this week for you to enter his throne room of grace? Like John Jr. running into the lap of his father. What difference might that kind of looking up make in your life? If you'll indulge me, I'd love to lead us in this moment. This will take about 60 seconds, and I will invite you to go ahead and close your eyes in this one. Or if you're so inclined, you can look up if that feels truer. But let me lead us in this reflection. Take this moment now to remember that God is with you. Present here in a real spiritual way. Tell him now that you believe he's here with you. And reflect on the fact that he loves you and accepts you just as you are now. Take this moment now to sense his unconditional love for you. Maybe even imagine him looking at you or sitting with you. Finally, tell Jesus what you're thinking or feeling or simply enjoy this moment of silence aware of God's presence with us.
Father, thank you that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence. That in you, we always find mercy and grace in our time of need. Teach us what it means to be people of prayer. People who look up and find our strength in you. Jesus, this week as we begin our journey of prayer together, may we sense your invitation. May we experience your great love and the love that you have for us as sons and daughters of the King. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.